0: January 8th, George Herbert Walker Bush is televised falling violently ill at the state dinner in Japan, vomiting into the lap of Prime Minister Kiichi Miyazawa and fainting. February 17th, a court in Milwaukee, Wisconsin sentenced serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer to life in prison. May 4th, in Valley, California, a jury acquitted four LAPD officers accused of excessive force in the videotaped beating of a Black motorist named Rodney King, causing the 1992 LA riots, which led to 53 deaths and $1 billion in damage. Today, we are going back to May 21st, 1992. <laughs>
1: Toy of the Year, <laughs> Toys Retailers Association of.
0: <laughs> I really like your 1930s radio voice. I really like it. I want you to work on it. Like you really need to refine that because I think you're to something for sure. That was really good.
1: That'd be a really good snatch game character too to talk <laughs> like that. So like. Yeah. 1943 hey listen all right. here sonny all right, we are I'm recording
0: gonna... this could be bad
1: hey y'all welcome to the Wayback recap a podcast that obsessively explores all things past from our favorites in tv and film
0: those little Polly pocket toys you know they were in like the shape of a rose and then you opened them up and there were little figurines you could play with but you could only play with them once before they'd be gone forever
1: do you remember the uh mcdonald's toy
0: Oh, I do. No, stop. Don't talk that way. (laughs) Best part of Polly Pocket was Polly Pocket, but I think that's Hot Pocket, and I think I'm getting it wrong. Yeah, you definitely. But I like it either way. (laughs) I like it either way. I think there
1: was a cartoon, too.
0: There definitely was. I'm Brandon. And I'm Patricia.
1: And this episode, we're talking the real world, New York. Yes. Originally, the real world. Yeah, it was actually the real world when it originally (laughs) happened, but we'll get into that. First broadcast in 1992, originally produced by Mary Ellis Bunum who passed away in 2007 from a long battle with breast cancer and Jonathan Murray, who formed a working partnership in the late 1980s. Murray had moved from a t- career in TV news to working for a television rep firm in New York, uh, selling an idea for a TV show to New World Television, where he met Mary Ellis Bunum who was heading up the company's syndication efforts following a stint producing the soap Santa Barbara, which Uh, I've never heard of.
0: I have never, I'm not a soap gal. Yeah. But, oh, that made me sound bad. Um, More shower gel. Um, (laughs) But my aunt would watch it all the time. And Santa Barbara was a very popular soap. We're talking Sarah Michelle Gellar got her start on Santa Barbara. Seth Green, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Wow. Like a lot of stars came through Santa Barbara.
1: I had no idea. There you go. Man, <laughs> I never really watched soaps either. That's not really like my my thing. Yeah, but maybe more I game show gal. It. Yeah. Game show Truly, cartoons. <laughs> they then decided to work together and produce several pilots. One of those projects, and arguably the most famous, was a pilot for a scripted series for MTV. In Murray's own words, in interview, Mary Ellis really took the lead on this because her background in scripted daytime programming. We developed a script with MTV called St. Mark's Place after the street in the Lower East Side. It was to capitalize off the success of TV shows Beverly Hills 90210 and Merrill's
0: Place. Super, super smart.
1: Yeah. Uh, I remember those shows and I never watched them.
0: Oh, I was a huge Beverly Hills stan
1: really loved
0: beverly hills 90210 love 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 i
1: love that there's somebody named brandon on the show like i remember vividly be like oh shit there's (laughs) another brandon and he's cool
0: even though i do think brandon was like the second or third hottest guy on the show hurtful yeah sorry about it jason Priestley. r.i.p
1: i don't know i don't
0: he was in a terrible race car accident that's what i'm thinking of he's probably not dead we can move on (laughs) okay
1: (laughs) back to murray uh It was great. Everyone was happy with the script, but MTV wasn't sure the scripted TV was the right thing for them to be doing, and they were certainly more uh, more concerned with the economics of it. Up to this point, they were running mostly free music videos, so they end up deciding that it makes sense for them,
0: which was really smart because it didn't (laughs)
1: like
0: they didn't. It just it was a really good move for the people at MTV. MTV was built to make money, yeah, and a scripted show costs money.
1: Yeah, very much so. You paying all those actors, mm-hmm. the crew, everything. Mm-hmm. Murray said at the same time uh, we were developing something for Fox called American Families, which was a jumping off from the landmark PBS series from 1973, An American Family. This is a groundbreaking documentary. It's considered the first reality series of the American television. Yeah, I think
0: I've never heard of this. Really?
1: It was originally intended as a chronicle of the daily life of the Louds, an upper-middle-class family in Santa Barbara, California.
0: (laughs) Because that speaks for America, right? right? It's an upper-middle-class family from Santa Barbara.
1: But it actually ended up documenting the breakup of the family. Oh,
0: snap! Yeah, uh,
1: the parents, they separated and subsequently divorced Bill and Pat Loud, and it featured their son, Lance, the first continuing character of on television who was openly gay
0: snaps for Lance that's pretty impressive
1: our series was about following different families through a crisis or transition but very very reality oriented in terms of choosing the family this is again Murray sure it wasn't a documentary it was more reality because we were stepping in and nudging the story long let me tell you as someone who has been on okay I like both in front of and behind this cameras of a reality tv show like yeah there is a lot of nudging for a story to happen i think
0: the word nudging is the nicest word for that you're producing yeah producing a story absolutely so even if it's a reality show and you can please feel free to correct me brandon it's a reality show of course but that reality show is produced by people who are there to generate a storyline
1: oh absolutely okay
0: i was you know let's call rose a rose like (laughs) you're not nudging you're producing.
1: So when MTV said they didn't want to go ahead with St. Mark's Place, Mary Ellis and I start talking and ask ourselves what if we worked on an unscripted show about young people starting their lives in New York? What if we found six diverse young people, stuck them in a loft?
0: In a loft.
1: Yep. <laughs> and follow their lives the way that filmmakers had followed the Loud family's lives. Genius. Yeah.
0: Great idea. Quote unquote diverse.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We met with Lauren Corral, the development exec at MTV at the Mayflower Hotel for breakfast and laid out this crazy idea. She looked at us and said, oh my God, I lived that when I first moved to New York. Genius. So we had a receptive audience, she got it. By lunchtime, she called us back and said, I've talked to Doug Herzog, then MTV's SVP of programming, now president of MTV Networks.
0: I was gonna say, I feel like I knew that name really yeah Herzog stands out really yeah
1: I think of like the person who uh Todd Herzog who won Survivor China I don't know
0: (laughs) (laughs) different reference yeah it's okay absolutely so good uh
1: and he loves it let's do it yes so on Memorial Day weekend 1991 we moved six people into a loft on Broadway in Soho and we filmed over a long weekend there was energy there was a debate There was flirting, all sorts of stuff. We were filming them in the house, on the streets, and in restaurants. We shot this in H8, and we had the cameras hardwired to the little control room where we tucked away into the kitchen. We just all looked at each other and said, this works. There's nothing like this on television.
0: I mean, what's really good is they weren't, like, too impressed with themselves. Yeah. Wait, just kidding.
1: (laughs) Hey, but I mean, they, it's a
0: revolutionary idea. I'm not taking it yeah, away from that. They them.
1: created a cultural phenomenon. I they mean,
0: created television that we know today. That is that's wild. That's period. Like, period. that's all there is to I it. I mean,
1: that's a powerful statement. Yeah, I said it. That's the end of the quote of Jonathan Murray. So I enjoyed reading that dramatically. <laughs> uh, the pilot titled Season Zero featured a notable castmate, Patricia, someone you love quite a bit. Tracy Grandstaff, or as we know her, the voice of
0: Daria. Tracy Grandstaff. Do you mean American legend and icon who gave us one of the best TV shows of all time? Is that who you mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I do mean that.
0: I don't remember. Please continue. I'm getting ahead of the story.
1: No, 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 no. (laughs) Having tested the pilot with the audience after nine months, MTV ordered 13 half-hour episodes. This time to find a seven-member cast. Murray and Bunum and their team extended their search to find their wider range of castmates. Uh, the search brought them to Austin, Texas, and Birmingham, Alabama. And Patricia, let me tell you.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, we're only talking about season one. So, I mean, I wasn't auditioning for reality TV, let alone real world at the time.
0: Because you were seven years old. Yeah. Th- yeah. Eight, five years old. Uh six. Six, yeah. Yeah. I
1: was I I mean, I probably would have been very dynamic. You
0: would have been great. Um for sure. Vi- and definitely better than some of the duds we get on the early seasons of the real world. Man. I said it.
1: I vividly remember like going to audition for real world stuff, even in different cities. I, I remember college. you
0: yeah. vividly auditioning for that's, the real world several times. That's
1: so funny. Was- hey, I made it.
0: He, Somewhere. he auditioned several times because people liked him. And it was smart that he do that. What always made me laugh was not Brandon auditioning. It was the poor schlub of a friend that Brandon had convinced <laughs> to also go audition with him. <laughs> it was always a different friend. And they oh, and God love them. Because they all did go with you. And they spoiler alert, none of them got on the show either. Yeah, but, you know, well done. Good Thank friends. You.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Murray said it was 10 times better than the pilot. It premiered and shocked the network because it went from a 0.3, which I don't know anything about ratings. Yeah, right? Uh, which was what the music videos had to a 0.9. That's a that significant a jump. huge jump.
0: Impor- yeah, huge yeah, jump.
1: math and numbers. There was a piece on the NBC Nightly News. There was a two-page spread in the New York Times Arts and Leisure. There was a six or eight-page spread in Entertainment Weekly.
0: Entertainment Weekly. Eight-page spread. That's that's a cool. lot. Yeah,
1: I don't even know. Isn't it a TV show? Entertainment Weekly. Entertainment
0: Weekly was a magazine.
1: Oh, um
0: I'm not sure if it's a magazine anymore, but I it was a it. magazine yeah. in 1991.
1: Everybody was talking about it. People were saying to us, "You script it, don't you? You tell them what to do, don't you?" And we just say, "No, we just shoot what happens," which is a lie.
0: I mean, they provide them with a lot of alcohol, yes. and then encourage them to make back in later choices. seasons
1: i don't know necessarily so in the earlier not, seasons no. they and i don't want to say them. a lie allegedly i don't know what went on like when they were filming Me stuff either. like in the early seasons again i was sick
0: i didn't get super into the real world until season three
1: which one was that san francisco san francisco yeah, yeah. that was actually okay We'll get back to New York, but San Francisco was, like, I think the breakout season. I mean, President Bill Clinton was talking about that with, like, Pedro. I
0: think that this is the first time that there was, like, a person with HIV represented on, like, a real person that just had a life and didn't let this disease cripple them. Because I feel like in the early 90s, for sure, like, the only representation of people with HIV or AIDS were sick, dying people. Yeah. And Pedro wasn't that. Like, Pedro was out doing his thing, and he wasn't ashamed, and he wasn't shunned by some people um, uh i
1: need to do a rewatch of season three i'm gonna too. like i i'm really happy to do, like start doing the series because we too, are definitely going to do like further episodes definitely this season as well as later seasons uh so that's going to be a lot of fun definitely. just to, like go back and explore all that but like i think i started watching well I, my first memory of real world uh was season two when uh david i guess pulled off the blanket off. Tammy. Yeah, I remember that I do too. Like I vividly remember watching me that too. my sister watching that and not me being in a room doing that. But I think the first episode of real world that I actually watched myself was probably like London.
0: I think for me it was until Miami. Mm. I like by the time they got to Miami, I was watching the Real world every single week I had become like a weekly viewer up until this point my mom had rules about mtv like my mom had three rules growing up one of them was you couldn't say shut up or fart <laughs> uh, one shut was, up fart one was we couldn't watch mtv and one was we couldn't change the radio station so it's like we could watch hbo in the middle of the night <laughs> when it's just straight titties out but we couldn't watch mtv like that was the line my mother decided to draw in the sand I would appropriate so, it wasn't until i got a tv in my room that i could like <laughs>
1: back to that long jonathan murray quote (laughs) the strange thing was no one was sure that we'd be doing more than one season as mtv was all about being fresh and new but it was all about the people in the sales department there who said you have to do it again so we went to venice california and we did it even better
0: yes exactly we have to remember the whole point of mtv is to make money so with the real world sure you have production costs but this is nothing compared to a scripted show. Yeah. Like, you're making a product that is getting you 0.6% higher ratings with very little financial input. Yeah. Like, it at the beginning, at least, it grew to something crazy, maybe. But this is a money-making show.
1: You do more seasons. You do more shows. You have more people. People are going to want to do the show. So they're gonna watch You know what I mean?
0: They're going to watch. I mean, watch, obviously,
1: that's what happened. And
0: they're going to want to do the show. And it's they're not going to care if they get paid or not. They just want to be on the show
1: wild pay me then we went to san francisco where we had the season with pedro zamora and puck david rainey the show really broke out that season that's where we ended up on the news pages hell even the new yorker even wrote a review at the point it was like okay this could be on for a while
0: i think at this point especially with i mean i don't want to give puck too much credit (laughs) but i definitely feel like puck helped set the standard for reality shows to always have traditionally a white man who is just like who is there to stir shit up like who's there who's ignorant who's rude who's abrasive who's aggressive and they're just there to cause drama and i do feel like puck was like the first one to do that
1: yeah maybe he did set a standard i don't know i haven't actually i I have to rewatch san francisco same yeah it's been years years i remember puck from like one of the challenges like i remember puck Uh, I remember watching him, like, I guess, digging his nose when I was a kid. And I was like, ew, that's gross. Yeah,
0: he did. I feel like he did a lot of gross things.
1: But I dig in my nose now, so I guess I'm the gross Sometimes you gotta dig. (laughs) Even after all these years later, the legacy of the show expands to being one of the longest running reality series in history. And it's credited with launching the modern reality TV genre.
0: Rightfully so. And I honestly, and correct me, Brandon, but I think they're like 27 seasons in.
1: Yeah, uh, like, shit, man, or twenty-two, maybe. I, it might be more than that.
0: It might be more than that. It's wild.
1: The series generated uh, two notable related series, both broadcast by MTV. Everybody knows Road Rules. I shouldn't say everybody, but
0: I think a lot of people if of a certain If you know about the Real World, you know about Road Rules.
1: Yeah, but we're we're trying to introduce people to the Real World who maybe never so seen true. it before. So true, you so know.
0: true. And I think, yeah, you even say it. Road Rules ended in two thousand seven, where the Real World is still going strong. Uh let's not? get back to that
1: thought yeah you may be a little out of touch my ah! friend
0: shocking the,
1: <laughs> and that again the road rules lasted 14 seasons from 1995 to 2007 like you said And the ongoing spinoff which i hear a lot of people watch but i have not watched in years the challenge it's been on 35 seasons since 1998. Jeez. I remember watching like the first Me challenge, too. which was technically called like Road Rules All-Stars, which had like the five people in the RV. Yep. I think it was Cynthia from Miami, yep. Sean from Boston.
0: I can't believe you can remember them off the top of your head. This Bro, is amazing. I, you this are is like, amazing. No,
1: calm down. Calm down. You're causing a scene. <laughs> uh sean from boston it was then john brennan from los angeles who was from owensboro kentucky uh and then there was um mark no eric niece from from the one that we're oh, remembering... sure. yeah yeah, eric yeah, eric yeah sure sure. so eric cynthia rachel campos from san francisco was also Good there job. sean and rachel have been married for years yes, because of that show and have several several many children it's
0: beautiful i never got as into road rules because the real world is about sitting around in a house i'm great at that road rules is about like challenges and you have to accomplish things and it seems so hard
1: i was kind of a initially i think i was more like oh man i would love to do road rules but then i think i was more real world So the real world ended in 2017 from MTV.
0: That shocks me. I thought it was still up and running.
1: Yeah, they were returning to cities, but they were coming up with like, I mean, I hadn't watched it because I think I had aged out at that point, but they were coming up with different like themes behind it. Like when it was explosion, real world skeletons go big or go home, (laughs) bad blood. So it was canceled because obviously that sounds terrible, whatever that is. Um and then it was actually picked up by Facebook for season 33 in the Real World Atlanta. Wow. Never watched it. That was in wow. 2019, but I think there are now plans for Real World to be picked up uh, on Paramount Plus. Yeah,
0: Paramount Plus owns the suite now. Yeah. So more to come. Don't worry. Yeah. If you are
1: missing out on real world, don't worry. You can still audition if you are 18 to 25. I think that was like the cutoff. When or, I you
0: there. know, maybe you're my 40 year old boss who doesn't like anything except the challenge.
1: That is wild to me.
0: People love it,
1: man. I mean, no judgment. if you. No, like me the- either.
0: I love dumb stuff.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I love dumb stuff. <laughs> but the challenge was—I used to watch the challenge when it was like the Inferno. Me too. Uh, I remember when the challenge when no one really got voted off, and it was like the two buses. Like yep. that's when I used to watch that shit. Yep. But I think I had probably stopped watching my initial, like, adulthood version of the challenge at Fresh Meat, and I was kind of like the first one. Yeah. And I was kind of done after that. I
0: dipped out after like CT and Tanya got in a fight for like the fourth time. But I was like. <laughs> <laughs> these 245 45-year-olds need to stop fighting on TV. <laughs> that was when I kind of took a knee. And I was like, that's the end of that for me.
1: Yeah, man. Well, you know, CT's made a career of that.
0: Good for him.
1: Now that you kind of have a little background on what the real world is slash was and what it's going to be, <laughs> let's talk about the episode at hand. Yes. Episode one of New York, the very first episode of reality TV as we know it for sure.
0: One million percent. Yeah,
1: ever. Okay. And Eric Nice interview opens up and he's in disbelief about the situation at hand. This is never going to happen. They can't do this to seven people. <laughs> and then the iconic credits roll. This is the true story
0: of, of seven strangers
1: picked to live in a house,
0: work together
1: and have their lives taped to find out what happens when people stop being polite.
0: And start getting real.
1: The real world. I love it. So that work together part wasn't really even added until like later seasons when that became a part of like you had to have a job assigned. I
0: was just going to say, so like when the show starts, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, they are literally just filming people as they live their lives.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I think beginning, well, I think.
1: Seattle? Seattle, I, I think. Oh no no, Boston cuz they worked, all at, worked
0: together in Boston. Yeah,
1: because they worked at the child like development center oh, and then gosh. Montana gave a kid some alcohol. Do you remember that? I
0: do remember. Yes, 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 yes. And
1: yeah. rightfully got fired.
0: Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. Sorry. Shout yeah. out
0: to Montana. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, hun. <laughs> so I think eventually they gave them jobs. Yes. And then I think that compli- that's another tool they use to uh Layer the relationships. Yeah, so you're spending more conflicts.
1: You're spending a lot more time together yeah. and working together with some people who you may not.
0: Well, and you when know. you don't show up at the surf shop, everybody gets mad <laughs> that you didn't take the sure. Is that Jersey shift. Shore? I, a Hawaii, they worked at a surf shop.
1: Oh, shit. I love Hawaii. Ruthie
0: is my girl. I love Hawaii.
1: Man. We are then introduced. I'm going to let it catch up.
0: Sure. Also, I'm
1: going to talk about this. I have had sex with many a boy who looks like young Eric Meese.
0: I'm going to say something and I believe it wholeheartedly. Eric Neese isn't even a real person. <laughs> Eric Neese is an amalgamation of every actor who was in a TV show or movie in 1992. Like, tell me that's not the kid from the Sandlot. Tell me that's not Andrew Keegan. Like, tell me, like he looks like every dude in 1991. Yeah. It's the flippy down center haircut for me. I also love that, like, a theme on The Real World is that the houses are always uh, super dramatic. Like, the decorations in the house are always over the top. Like, you live in a firehouse, you live in a this, like, there's always a shit. The fanciest part of the New York loft is this huge fish tank.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Eric Neese is, like, the OG. Like, Eric Neese was on Challenges right away. Don't you think? Like, Eric Neese was a company man. He did a lot of work for MTV.
1: I mean, he did the grind and then he was on that uh, road rules all stars. I'm pretty sure he did do. I don't know if he did a lot of challenges. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Don't ask me about the challenges. We're introduced to Julie and she's from Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Roll that beautiful (laughs) bean footage. I don't know why I love saying that, but I just love saying that because it's like B roll. Uh, We see the airport, a church bus, and we see
0: a Confederate flag right away. Yeah. Right away.
1: Julie's talking to her dad about jobs, and he wants her to be a computer operator, which I have absolutely no idea what a computer operator does.
0: From a dad perspective, quote unquote, computer operator does sound like a good job. And I think in his brain, it means someone who can work a computer.
1: Julie has other dreams, however, and that involves dance. We get this scene of Julie at a hip hop uh, rap and dance class, and that's what it looks like to be, I guess. I don't know.
0: (laughs) I mean, I think I am really ready at all times to make fun of people for dancing.
1: Yeah, that's terrible. Because because
0: I take dance very seriously. Yes, yes, you do. And if you say you're a dancer, I would like to see some technique.
1: Uh,
0: That's what I was going to say, is Julie knows how to dance.
1: Yeah, she absolutely.
0: Julie is stacked. Julie's got a huge chest. Yeah. I feel like she's got bod for days. Good for you, Julie
1: she covers it up
0: the dance really shows up like she's a dancer
1: so we get this up close shot of julie's dad looking like a bullfrog cartoon <laughs> uh and he, and he asks julie if this dance career doesn't make it she you need something to fall back on so why not get it when you get your uh degree at a young age
0: And this is the part of the show where I relate more to the parent than the child (laughs) because he's right. Go get your degree guys. Are they worthless? Yes.
1: Is it good (laughs) to have them still?
0: Also, yes.
1: (laughs) But I will say this though, as like a person who, if you are a dancer, you can only do dance for so long. That's not necessarily always true, but I would think that like. It is a
0: very difficult profession. It's very hard on the body. Yeah. So as you get older, a you're more prone to injury and those injuries can be more severe. So it is kind of a young person's game.
1: Yeah, and so why not get your degree at an older age? Also
0: true. Yeah. Uh,
1: the next shot is at a church. <laughs> Patricia, it's the Episcopal Church of St. Francis of Assisi. Did Trust I say that me, right?
0: You First of all, you did say it right. Yes.
1: Second of all, church.
0: I clocked that right away, and I want to say desperately that I was like, oh, if you were wondering about an Episcopalian, it's like Julie from The Real World.
1: Yeah, Julie <laughs> is. I mean, truly and honestly.
0: Yeah, what's up, girl?
1: He, the, the pastor is accosting us with a sermon. He actually looks like Fire Marshal Bill from In Living Color. I'm not even trying to be funny, but the he kind of is. famous knew.
0: Jim Carrey character? Yes. yeah, yes, yeah he One does. of my
1: favorite characters that Jim did on the show. Yeah, uh, with all due respect. I don't mean to, like, <laughs> besmirch this uh, priest. I
0: think we also have to remember, like, imagine filming these segments. So imagine Julie is walking up to her priest that she's had for her whole life. And she's like, <laughs> Father Jim. Um, I'm gonna be on this TV show. (laughs) Um, that's a reality show on MTV Music TV Television, not channel. I'm gonna be on a show, so I need you to be in my like at home segment,
1: yeah, dude. And he
0: would have been like, You're on drugs, (laughs) and I'm concerned for you. This is a it wasn't like today where they would have been like, Oh, yeah, I'm on board. No, this is a totally new experiment. So the idea that these people agreed to participate at all is shocking, yeah, because I would have been like. You need a doctor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you need to get up out of my face with this crazy time.
0: I am definitely not going to be on TV. No, thank you. So I'm just saying, it was cool of them to be down.
1: Yeah, true. We then get Julie. Julie's dad, tells her to smile. And then she explains she ain't happy. Her dad asks why. And she's all like, I don't like the way that you're handling the news of me leaving, especially since you won't see me for a while. But he assures her it'll be sooner than he thinks. And he has friends who live in New York who can check (laughs) on her every day. And that's just what they're going to do every day. Someone's going to come in there and uh, check on you.
0: Again, I am. Both of these people are right, in my opinion. (laughs) Like, Julie's doing the right thing getting out of there. Good for her being honest. That's hard to do, especially when you have, like, closed-minded parents. Or traditional parents is maybe a nicer thing to say. But at the same time, Julie, what are you sad about? What in your life makes you sad? You have this beautiful home, you have this beautiful family, you have you everything are such provided a mom. for you. I'm just wondering what you're sad about. Yeah. What is going to be fixed in New York?
1: Well, she's she wants to be a dancer. She's young. I like
0: a plan, but yeah. I just need to see that more. You know what I mean? Like
1: You're just crushing dreams, man. No,
0: girl, if you're sad in Tallulah, Alabama, Tallulah, you're going to be sad Burby. in New York. Like if you're sad, like you know what I mean? Yeah like you need to make yourself not sad. Okay. A place yeah. change can't do that for you. That's my argument. I also think you need to be a very very good dancer to make it as a dancer in New York. And I don't know if Julie's got the chops.
1: Wow, That's you funny. are okay. So, uh, I was just say what's his name from uh, so you think he dance is it Nigel Lithgow?
0: Is it Lithgow? Lithgow? Like John?
1: I don't know. I Nigel
0: is his first name. Nigel. Let's go with Nigel.
1: Okay. So after that like kind of confrontation between Julie and her dad, everyone's visually uncomfortable.
0: It's great because there are a lot of, not a lot, maybe there's like six or seven people in a small room. I think it's like a galley kitchen and everyone is super uncomfortable. Like Julie's dad is like, smile, Julie. And Julie's like, no, (laughs) I don't want to do that.
1: I'm mad at you. So I'm proud of her. (laughs) Yeah. Good, good girl. Good girl. Uh, the next scene, we are in the interior of Julie's dad's car, and it's like this burgundy velvet hearse.
0: Hun, burgundy is too nice of a word. This is a blood red velour lined, I'm gonna call it a Buick. Is I it, bet it's a Buick.
1: I bet it's a Buick too, because it does remind I me of your I my you, Buick yes, Skylark. that's exactly what I was thinking, dude. It reminds me of your Skylark, the one where 100%. the lighting was like flying. When the ceiling was
0: falling in. <laughs> ah!
1: Like a circus tit. It was ridiculous. <laughs> It was gorgeous whenever the windows were he down. He doesn't.
0: He's just being an ass. He did not think it was gorgeous. <laughs> I did. I no, loved you it. didn't. Stop
1: lying. You're rude. Uh, anyways, uh, they're on their way to the airport, where her dad concedes, and then he says he hopes she has a good time, and that as long as she stays in her little neighborhood, she should be fine. And then he asks, "When is a good time for him to call?" 11 a.m. and 11 p.m. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. Ro- I mean, I'm not mad at him for that because that's. I mean.
0: I think we have to remember a couple of things. Yeah. New York City coming out of the New York of the 1980s was a very dangerous place. Yeah. Especially to an ignorant, naive girl from Alabama. 19-year-old baby. 19-year-old girl. So, I'm not saying he's wrong. Woman. Person. Person. But I don't think you should I don't think you need to talk twice a day.
1: No. But I mean, I listen to a lot of true crime stuff. Good way to know if sums up. Sums up.
0: Yeah. Also, living with a lot of people is super helpful. Like, yeah. I would feel better that a she's being recorded all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then also she has roommates, so if she goes missing. Someone will notice right away.
1: Yeah. Truly, I would get in good with the roommates.
0: This might be the actual safest possible situation for Julie. Like, maybe she couldn't be in a more safer spot.
1: Truly and honestly, right?
0: <laughs> like, at this point, she's an MTV investment.
1: Do you remember when you and I lived together, one of the first times we lived together, uh, and I went missing on Halloween, and the person I was dating at the time burst into your room while you were asleep and was, like, freaked yes. out?
0: Yes. I do remember that.
1: Because I was missing. Do you know where I was? No. So we went to that pizza place that was, like, by our house, and I was so drunk, I thought I was going to the bathroom, but it was an alley, and I had passed out on bags of trash. I
0: do recall this, yes. Yeah,
1: and I woke up with, like, rain hitting my face (laughs) in the alley, and I was like, where am I? And then found out everybody was looking for me. Mere
0: blocks from our house, really. Like, not far away at all. This ex-boyfriend was very concerned, and I was not. I feel like- I was like, sir. (laughs) Please leave my room.
1: I feel He's like he didn't fine. really look for me. He didn't really look for me. If... I
0: don't think he thought to look for you in the alley. That yes. was his first mistake. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. When I used to drink, I mean, I could this be an alley. Different
0: than the uh, St. Patrick's Day where you thought you'd fallen in a ditch, but you would, it wasn't a ditch. You just fallen on the sidewalk. Or was oh, this another roommate? Oh
1: my gosh, that is not me. I was going to say I don't remember. I mean, think it's
0: another roommate.
1: I do know which roommate you're talking about, yeah. Jesse.
0: No, that is not
1: who I was talking about. <laughs> that, I'm talking about yeah, okay. yeah.
0: Don't say a thing. I'm gonna punch you in the dick.
1: We next see Julie at the airport telling her family goodbye. <laughs>
0: in the good old days when you could take your, right? uh, I didn't even your think about relative that. all the way to the gate.
1: Seriously. Uh she's assuring them that this will be happy, this will be a good thing. Her dad asks if she's gonna give him a kiss goodbye. She nods yes, because she's not that petty.
0: But she does have like grumpy girl face on. She's like, fine, let's do this. Her dad
1: started. seems to be a bit much. hes I mean, he's protective. Yes, he she's one of seven. She's yeah. the youngest. Yeah. I get it.
0: And she's 19. Yeah. I would be nervous too, man.
1: After she gives him a kiss goodbye, uh, he asks if she's going to call at 11 the night like they agreed. And Julie says, if I feel like it. Oh, good job, Julie. Yeah, right. And their dad laughs and he goes, okay, I got your number. And it's a cute little moment between the two of them.
0: It's a cute moment. And it's again, I'm siding with the dad. Do call me tonight, please. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
1: He tells her to have a good trip and a good time. And Julie boards a plane as her dad admits he could shed a tear. Julie gazes out the window of the airplane as we get a flashback back to that kitchen scene where Julie and her dad are in the kitchen having a conversation. Uh, It's about how different she and her dad are. Uh, to her dad's disbelief he doesn't think that they're different he's like what
0: he is very surprised to learn that her opinions are not his exact opinions.
1: man he probably really tried when she was growing up trying to ingrain that stuff
0: we have a friend from high school who reminds me a lot of julie someone who was really close to her parents yeah who loved her parents a lot and really did want to live a life like they lived like yeah. th- that took their dad as gospel yeah so this does happen especially in the south like you do see kids come up just like their parents
1: no absolutely after her dad was all like what i have no idea what you're talking about julie was ready and was like okay you want to really know what i think uh well it's okay to wear whatever you want do whatever you want to do to your hair grow it to your butt if you want and dad responds when did you start saying butt which is really the funniest shit ever to me
0: it's the funniest see my aforementioned rules about my mom yeah absolutely the same kind of thing where it's like whoa 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 did you just say but <laughs> do i even know you my child anymore but
1: but <laughs> i can't think of any words that were like banned in our house uh but definitely wasn't wanna we said First but all, a lot
0: but It's just a thing. Yeah. I have a butt, you have a butt, we have butts. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe they were a house where you said bottom.
1: Bottom. Bottom. That is (laughs) I am not saying bottom as an adult.
0: Oh my bottom.
1: (laughs) Actually I will say bottom as adult for other reasons.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it has a different context now. Yeah. That would equally shock Julie's dad, I'm sure. But then the dad comes in great and it's like classic dad. He's like, well, what else do you hate about me? Like immediately it's his, immediately he's the victim. What else do you hate about me?
1: Yeah. And Julia's like, oh, I got time today, daddy. <laughs> I hate that it took for all these people talking about the crew coming up in here to listen to what anyone else has to say about anything. Her dad then says he still cares about her. And Julia's like, well, you said you don't care about how I feel about things or how my friends feel. And uh, then her dad, who I like to call Grisbo the clown, interrupts <laughs> and he's like, I don't have to care about how you feel to give a damn about you. And then Julie's like, I don't agree with that sentiment and I don't either.
0: Yeah, Julie is, has hit the nail on the head. Yeah,
1: absolutely. You have to care how I feel.
0: Julie's dad is one of these classic people where it's like his way or highway. Like he doesn't need to hear your opinion because he has his opinion and yeah. his opinion's right. And why, everybody else is
1: wrong. Why is that, sir? Ugh. Explain to me why yours. Yeah. Is why right. you're
0: so special?
1: Julie is then seen in the crowded airport, uh, either Newark, LaGuardia, or Kennedy.
0: I think it's, um, I think it's LaGuardia. That you think it's matter. LaGuardia? Yeah, I, I think know. it's LaGuardia.
1: Uh, she's picking up her luggage, and then we have a scene of Julie in the uh, taxi. It's on the way to Soho and they're talking to a cab driver where I'm a hundred and thousand percent sure that this was like egged on by like the crew that's filming her in the taxi. But I,
0: I want, sorry to interrupt you. No, you're good. I want to agree with you, but I 100% believe Julie's country ass would get in a cab and immediately go, y'all, this is my first trip to New York.
1: <laughs> I have
0: taken people to New York for the first time. And this is exactly how they're like, let's get in a taxi. And then they get in the taxi and they're upset that it smells like urine and that their driver won't talk to them. People have a romantic really? idea of New York. Yes, yes, yes. Very interesting. Much. Yeah.
1: As someone who lived in New York for a brief period of time, I, uh, that's interesting. The taxi driver looks uncomfortable and he's like fidgety, sweating. And he he's like talking to Julie from the front seat, like looking behind her as he's driving. Which is very scary. Um, anyways, meanwhile, back at the house, the ever so scrumptious Eric Neese is wearing a ridiculous blossom hat as he's the first person <laughs> to walk into the loft. And holy shit, he's impressed.
0: For those who are unsure about the nomenclature, when Brandon says blossom hat, he means a bucket hat.
1: Oh, is that what they're called? Yeah,
0: that's what they're called. Um, and it's so funny because it's so trendy in this moment. But it's also like the the loft space is so trendy. Oh, like, yeah. There's the cool fish tank. There's a lava lamp. Oh, yeah. Like, it is 1991 on a plate. And Eric is a perfect side dish. Like, he looks exactly like 1991.
1: This is 1992. 1992 we get this scene where he's talking about what he's seen and he saw exciting things and then we get like this close-up of some pop art uh weird things we get a close-up of a lava lamp and then furniture rooms and then there's beds with no sheets bro like
0: prison beds why are there no sheets on these beds are these do these kids know they're responsible for their own bedding I like, have somebody told Julie that I she needed to bring so. her own sheets.
1: Really? That's so wild. Why am I flying with sheets? It's Do ridiculous. people fly with sheets? I don't.
0: Definitely, I don't. Maybe we should.
1: Maybe we should. Yeah. I haven't really flown in over a year and a half. Same. So I kind of feel like I don't know really what the um, norms are anymore.
0: It's great. Like, I feel like in this moment, I'm a bit of Eric because I would also be very impressed one of my favorite parts about the real world was like the first episode when you got to see the new yeah, house. Like you, I loved seeing the house.
1: Yeah. You walk in, you're just,
0: like, Oh my God. Like picking rooms. Who's going to be your roommate. Yeah.
1: Before it starts to smell like stale smoke and, and roommate just trash. Yeah. yeah.
0: And they just break things so many times. I feel like by the 13th episode, half of the stuff in the house is broken.
1: Oh, absolutely. Drunk 20 something <laughs> year olds. No, nothing's going to be, intact after that uh the next scene we have eric uh he's on the phone going through his address book
0: he's on the landline yeah which is you. a thing we should note yeah a landline that's a different thing and then he has an address book which is a physical book that he had to carry around with him with people's telephone numbers in it yeah just in case for young people who might not understand <laughs>
1: I mean, I never had an address book. I think once I became of age to know other people that weren't friends of my parents, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, cell phones were mm-hmm. a thing. And I had one of those.
0: I had an address book in middle school that I treated like holy grail. Where wow. I was like, let me update your information. And I like, oh, <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. They Did you use a gel pen? Definitely.
1: <laughs> Definitely.
0: And I would remove people very dramatically. Like I would take Sharpie. And sharpie out their information. Oh yeah, like, you absolutely dead to me. Wow. Yeah, yeah, cutthroat.
1: I bet you did that to me at least three times.
0: Nah, I just block you.
1: Eric's on the phone with his friend, and he tells him how fly the apartment is. And as he's talking, Becky, the next roommate, walks in. Eric introduces himself with the most awkward shit I've ever heard. <laughs> he says something like, "You're a queen, I'm a king, and this is," and. and understandably he's just kind of flustered because everything is so fucking cool to him and he's just like wow uh, and then he's unable to finish telling her and so he's just like just go look around the place just go look around <laughs> he's it's like
0: a- I'm too busy being on the phone to my friend talking about the new apartment to interact with you
1: <laughs> then we get this rapid fire roommate introduction Kevin comes in next and gives his take on how incredible the loft is Norman comes in with a giant Great Dane
0: giant yeah. Great Dane huge like a pony
1: heather and as eric describes her is a rapper and she is is next and surprise she has a cat <laughs> like both of these people bringing pets and then kevin's all like did not they say no pets like why are y'all bringing pets which i would ask too if you're moving into this i would law. also
0: have questions
1: granted i'll probably be the person bringing a great game and two you cats. brought
0: your dog with you everywhere you went for a long time you still do yeah i do, do that
1: <laughs> i do do that uh, then we have Andre, he's next, and he basically says how much cool he is than everyone else because he <laughs> would not hang out with these people outside the house or they don't look like anybody he's ever hung out with. He's just very kind of like a little bit better than everybody else. We're finding out who the smokers are as Julie pulls up in the taxi while everyone's talking and she immediately jumps in Norman's lap when she walks in She down.
0: puts, She comes in the door, she puts her bag down. She says, hello. She sits in Norman's lap.
1: I, did Norman gesture for that? I did not see that. She's I dressed mean, like he in her finest mom gear, like the the Canadian tuxedo. It's like.
0: It's denim on khaki. De- I also wanted to say, Becky, is that the other white girl's name?
1: Yes. She yeah.
0: also dressed like a mom. Like yes. they both have on like Kmart exclusive for mom outfits. I
1: mean, mom, mom gear is cool. Moms are cool. What are you talking about?
0: All of these things are cool.
1: Yeah, my but mom's cool.
0: I would look for a better fit. Okay. That's my goal for them. If they're happy, I'm happy. <laughs> I do think it's inappropriate to sit in somebody's lap when you first meet them. Boundary violation. Be cool, Julie. Your new friends.
1: With all the roommates there, they begin formal introductions. Kevin starts us off, and he's a scholar, studying political science and being a writer and a poet.
0: When I tell you the crush I had on Kevin...
1: I can see that Kevin's a very handsome man.
0: For me, not only is he handsome, which I 100% do think, he's smart. Yeah. And you know, big brain on Brad. I'm all over that. Big
1: brains. (laughs) Becky, she went to NYU and went to film school, and now she is a musician because she's been doing it since she was little.
0: Glad to see she's putting that film school use. (laughs) Good call.
1: We won't... I guess this show's been on for like 30 some odd years. Literally? So we, yeah. Yeah. So we won't spoil it, but Becky has like a very interesting storyline that's followed throughout different seasons of real world. Fuck it. I'll spoil it. She's dates like one of the producers.
0: Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Good remembering. Wow. Which is, I was never here for Becky.
1: Oh man. But uh, I do think she's not my favorite.
0: No. But she had this affair with. Her. Are they? Do they like have a proper relationship, her and the producer.
1: We'll find that out later oh, okay, in the cool. episode. I'm not going to spoil anything None since I already did. You know, I mean, yeah. Eric lets us know he's a model slash actor.
0: Again, Eric being the original himbo, and like, he, and he kills it.
1: Patricia, when I tell you, Same. I have had sex with boys who look like Eric. Like, there's so many people who he is like a all-encompassing look. Yeah, and I don't mean to like lessen that because I think he's a very attractive and probably too. a kind person. Yeah. But I feel like I have had sex with Eric nieces a hundred thousand you, times. He's an
0: amalgamation of every dude. I'm into it. I am too. Because he's
1: adorable. Like I watching this, like adorable. when he's adorable. Like, yeah.
0: Like he's cool to everybody. I'm sure Eric has flaws, of course. But in this sort of situation, Eric, a guy like Eric is helpful in a house.
1: Oh yeah. But I mean, we'll get there. We'll get there. He has he has his moments throughout yes. the season and we will talk about those. Norman, originally from Michigan, is a painter and he works with a partner. That owns a company that's named after their dog Gouda, which is actually pronounced howda, right? Like
0: oh, I have no idea. I don't know.
1: I've heard that Gouda was actually pronounced howda. So. I'm gonna
0: call it Gouda. Gouda's is a great name for a dog. Number absolutely, one, absolutely,
1: hundred percent. Love
0: dogs named after cheese. Yeah, really good. Number two, before we started research for this episode, and by research I mean Brandon and me watched this episode when we were in lockdown. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I didn't even remember Norman. I remembered the dog, (laughs) but I didn't remember Norman. I feel like Norman is super removed from this. Like you only see Norman a couple of times.
1: So I used a podcast called Spectacle. Um, Episode two is about the real world. They actually explore American family as well and a bunch of other things. It's really, really, really interesting. There's a bit on there where Norman... Talks about how he isn't really in the loft that often. He's saying mm-hmm. his other place and he comes back every now and then. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. But um, Norman's also friends, uh, kind of like the Andy Warhol sec.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: He was doing a lot of stuff with kind of like that crowd. He uh, was friends with Lance Loud from an American family ah. and RuPaul of RuPaul's Drag how about Race. God. Yeah. They even came to his birthday party that was filmed in the loft, but they never showed it on TV. Wow. Right? Wow. Weird. That's wild. Anyways, (laughs) uh, Heather B, she's an accomplished rapper. She was on the Arsenio Hall show, which is near dear to both of our hearts. I know you watched Arsenio. Very
0: much so. I remember Heather B being on Arsenio. I'm sure I do.
1: I watch Arsenio all the time. Like I wasn't, I don't know why my young ass was up watching (laughs) Arsenio Hall on school nights. Yeah. Night elves. I was into it. I was like, this shit is good. Uh, Andre, he's in a band. Anyways, Julie reveals she's only 19 and the baby of the group. Uh, just like at home where she's the youngest of seven when a beeper goes off.
0: Again, for our young people, there was a device called a pager. Thank you. You would call the pager and the person with the pager would would see that you were trying to get a hold of them. They would then call you back. That's what a beeper did.
1: Yeah. This scene is so cringeworthy to me. Heather goes to see who is paging her when she's accosted with Julie's microaggressive, why do you have that? Do you sell drugs? And then we go to commercial break.
0: Right. Now, this is a good, this is a good learning opportunity.
1: It is. I'm looking at this with 2021 eyes. Same. But even in 1992, I feel like this would, I would be like, what the fuck?
0: I think that there was a small minded stereotype that people who had pagers sold drugs. Remember what a pager does. You call a pager, and that person calls you back. If you're looking to buy drugs, a pager would help facilitate that.
1: Yeah, that's why I still use one.
0: But that's not, my big brother also had a pager, never sold drugs. We just needed to find him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So do you remember, were you, did you ever have a pager? No, I'm a little too young. Yeah, I never had one, but I remember people, when I was in elementary school, like fifth, fourth, fifth grade, having pagers, and that was like the cool thing to have. Did your older
0: siblings have one? Have I don't pagers? think so.
1: I think, I I don't remember, but I do remember people at like the skate and rink and stuff like that okay. would have pagers and shit. Like it was a cool status symbol to have a pager. People would have like pink ones that were kind of like. My
0: big brother had one that was see-through green. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So pagers, man. I but think... really,
0: he just had one because I had a single mom. And so she would page him to make sure we had like, if she called the house and nobody answered the house phone, she that would call sense. the pager and be like, where the fuck are you? Yeah. And
1: we'd be like, oh, doing
0: something bad.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We get back from commercial. Heather's in the interview chair, and she informs the audience she hasn't had the opportunity to speak with Julie since the incident and that she really wants to know what the hell she was thinking and just wants to understand where she's coming from. Heather's a saint because I wouldn't care.
0: It is a goal to react the way Heather reacts, which is to take a minute. And think things through. Yeah. Like Heather's a champ here.
1: Heather is also young. I think she's 20 years old at this point.
0: But she has lived a much, a very different life than Julie has lived. Yeah. I also think, just in case you've never seen an episode of The Real World, a part of The Real World house is there's always a confessional. It's a room where the cast member sits and they just talk to a camera. And then those are called confessionals. And, like, they use those when forming the show. So in the confessional, people are often much more honest yeah. than they are interacting with the group. So I love the confessional. I always we worked at a summer camp. I always wanted to set up a confessional room at camp, and we never did. It made
1: me We still can. Well, we can do it. We don't work <laughs> at a camp anyway. For some reason, they interview Andre and ask if he would take offense to that question, and he says, "Yeah," but he also stands up for Julie. He's like, "I didn't th- think she was very serious."
0: Like, let's take a second and ask the white man what he thinks. Yes. Hey, Andre, um love your weird long hair.
1: His hair is gorgeous. I, okay. I'm kind of into Andre okay. as well, but he annoys me. Again, this is 1992. I shouldn't hold it against him. Hopefully, he's grown since then.
0: Andre reminds me of Brendan Fraser's character from the movie Airheads. Airheads.
1: I know. <laughs>
0: You're welcome. <laughs> Uh, literally in my brain, if I am thinking about Andre, I see Brendan Fraser from Aaron. <laughs> so it's it's dumb. They're like, white men, do you would you have taken offense to this white woman? And the white man's like, no, I wouldn't have.
1: Yeah, right. Kevin is the next cast member interview, and he just hopes there aren't any more microaggressions. Like, do you play ball? Then you get this beautiful scene that and it's Eric asking Kevin if he plays ball anywhere near her. And they're like, shoot, it's, it's hilarious. Poor Eric.
0: Poor. Uh, I think you meant to say poor Kevin.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes. But Eric is an idiot. Young Eric. I don't know what he's like right now. We then get to the group back at the table talking about their upbringings in their hometown and their racial makeup, of the schools they went to. Kevin then recalls a story of when he was referred as to a racial slur. I'm not gonna say it. And it was so flippant, Uh he was confused on how routine it was for the perpetrator to use the word, which I mean, I've been there before too, where someone just like so
0: very much yeah. rolls off
1: their tongue. They're just like, like it's a oh. the
0: thing they say all the time.
1: Yeah. Don't even bat an eye, which I kinda appreciate from a racist. I mean, if you're gonna be racist, be racist all the I time. I like
0: a person who's gonna be racist to my face.
1: Yeah. Heather speaks on her experience as a black woman and how whenever she goes to stores, they follow around, which is a more subtle form of racism.
0: Um, It is a little subtle. But again, when we were in high school in a small town, we went to Walmart and the adult with us were scared about me, a white woman, going to the store with four black kids. Do you remember this? Where he was like, someone else should go. Uh Because he was worried about me being alone with four, because of how that would be received. He wasn't scared of the four black men with me. He was scared about how the store would react to four black men with me. Right. Wild. They could have been
1: your kids for all they knew.
0: Could have been a thousand things. Yeah. I mean, I was 16. I would hope they wouldn't have thought other 16-year-olds were my kids.
1: It was Kentucky, man. (laughs) I don't know. Fair enough. Heather's then interviewed and asked what she thinks will happen. And she doesn't know. She just hopes everyone gets along. Uh, and then we get a scene, of foreshadowing, perhaps, <laughs> of Heather's cat giving Gouda the business and slapping the <laughs> shit out of him. And then the two are chasing one another all through the house.
0: I just imagine you get there and then your roommates have a cat and their dog that are chasing each other around the loft all the time. I mean,
1: I love animals, but I would also be like, look, this is a right, seven people in here we don't need anything else
0: seven people people have all this stuff there's luggage everywhere and there's also a giant dog that keeps chasing around the cat
1: which is also as big as a person so an eighth roommate essentially
0: literally
1: and their pet cat Ugh. it's now time to divvy up the rooms and eric and kevin they decide to share a room with one another everyone else they decide that there needs to be a quiet space and a loud space Makes sense. Yeah, right? And Heather's adamant that she stays up all night. Me too, Same girl, right? Like, I am a night owl.
0: Same.
1: And so she and Andre decided that they will share a room because they both snore and they're both (laughs) night owls, which I think is the most considerate thing. Very
0: smart, yeah. I, again, first episode I love, but I love the, like, who's going to room with who? It's a fun little... Glimpse into what these people think their Relationships are going to be and then as you get Like six episodes in people move Rooms it's very Drama I love it
1: yeah and I mean Quite honestly when you're in a heightened Situation like that which uh, Is already stressful enough Being in a room with somebody, which is also really hard. Can you imagine? Really hard. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I can't imagine. I've had to be roommates with someone I didn't get along with. It's very difficult.
1: Yes, likewise. And also, like, I've always lived with someone else in the same room with me. Wow. Well, that's not true. For several years, I was single. But, like, growing up, always had, like, a sibling in the room with me. College, I had uh, dorm room roommates. But then when I lived on my own. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We then get a montage of the roommates moving into respective rooms onto sheetless beds yet again, <laughs> uh, while Becky and Julie sit at a bar and Andre asks some provocative questions from Love and Sex, The Book of Questions
0: what? by
1: Gregory Stopp
0: why do i feel like we had this exact boogie camp
1: we probably did i mean i feel like it was probably like a big like cultural phenom thing mm-hmm. i don't know because i didn't read in mm-hmm. 1992 no. well, i probably should have been but not love and sex
0: it's always like scandalous questions like would you rather have a threesome or would
1: you rather have a thumb in your butt or <laughs> <laughs> and yes yes the question several is thumbs yes. in my butt
0: whose thumbs
1: <laughs> whoever's willing <laughs> Uh, Performing later that night. And as they end their conversation, Becky's mom's like, can I call this number and request you, (laughs) Becky? And Becky's like, why are you asking that? Like, it makes me wonder why, like, what was Becky's past living situation? Her mom's like, this is like any other place you can call and ask for me.
0: Or again, remember, this is a brand new situation yeah true so maybe becky's mom is confused about where <laughs> becky is living like is it a hostel if you call a hostel yeah. you can't you're not sure you're going to talk to the person anybody could answer the phone at a hostel yeah so maybe she's just confused
1: yeah that's true becky needs to be kinder to her mom in that
0: situation <laughs> Everybody take it easy on the but mind. i
1: mean i always get frustrated with my parents who especially at that age i'm like why are you asking me that question <laughs>
0: that's so true so true i'm gonna call you with the calling card <laughs> you don't have to worry about calling me
1: Becky then leaves the loft, guitar, and tone, heads to a friend's place to practice. She admits she doesn't know any of the changes and only knows one verse. And she has 30 minutes to learn it.
0: So I think that uh, Becky needs to give more time to her craft. Yeah. Because if you're before a gig and you don't know the material you're about to perform, that's stressful.
1: Hey, dude, that's me in this podcast every single time.
0: Stress? Stressful? I <laughs> don't like it.
1: Uh, we get the scene of her, like, annoyingly standing in the kitchen in the loft. She's fake concentrating. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, so someone can ask her what's wrong. Like, yes. what's wrong? Yes. And so she can tell. She I have to learn the song. It's so much pressure.
0: Remember, they're nudging the story along, Brandon. That is true. This That's is true. a nudge. That is we true. We got to nudge it. Yeah. There has to be conflict. There has to be a point to the show.
1: That's true. Becky is next seen at the cabaret. I don't know if that's a cabaret. I don't go out much. And she's nervous. She is introduced by the MCs to come on stage. They call her Rebecca, which her I'm sure. Her professional stage her, her name. Professional. Welcome, Rebecca and Brandy and other one name.
0: First of all, it's also funny that she's like, oh, I only have 30 minutes before my gig. But then we learn that it's an open mic night. It's yeah. open mic night and a gig. The same thing i mean i think open mic night anybody can walk up to that and that's not a gig you're not getting paid
1: well i don't know if it's an open mic night that's just what i put in the script oh, okay. but like it seemed like one to me it, because like what i've seen
0: i agree this right? looks like, like she put her name on a list <laughs> and they called her up when it was ain't her turn. wrong with that no that's how you get started but her music is not for me her sean colvin shit is not my bag
1: yeah we cut to like a twinkie norman in the bubble bath he's given an interview about the performance and man the shade of it, he says i wouldn't say she was like the most impressive singer for me personally but she was like really honest and it came out and it was beautiful it was really wonderful and it moved me uh, classic
0: gay compliment yeah where they're like we didn't like it but it was great that you liked it yeah did
1: you have fun <laughs>
0: You know what? It looked really honest, <laughs> and I was really impressed with your honesty. If
1: someone ever told me that, I would just cry.
0: I, I would rather them just tell me that I wasn't good.
1: You weren't good. Okay, fair I'm enough. sorry. Yeah. I just wanted to bring it. I to mean, could opinion. I
0: get some more feedback? Like, don't because do of this reason. Because like, you weren't feedback? good. Oh, okay, got it. Sure. I don't know. I'll work on not being bad. I Thank guess.
1: you. That's <laughs> the review I leave for this podcast. Don't be bad. We then see Heather, Kevin, and Julie waiting on the A train or uh, Subway for you weirdos who don't know what that's <laughs> called. They get on board, and the train takes off. There's this commotion at the next station along the route. The roommates, they're all rubbernecking and uh, in confessional, which we talked about before when you're sitting in like, the interview chair. Kevin speculates that he thinks someone got shot, which in New York, 92, probably.
0: Pretty pretty spot on yeah i rely on public transit and have for the last decade and i'll speak in i statements here whenever there is like a commotion i do always assume violence yeah (laughs) like i'm like oh there's a fight someone got shot someone got stabbed yeah uh the police are harassing someone (laughs) like i always assume violence i never just think oh an old man passed out it's no big deal i always assume it's a very big deal as you should right
1: as the train stalls a quintessential new yorker Uh, is waiting on the platform. He tells our crew that a guy got his foot stuck in the door and the train kept going and dragged him along with it. I was literally looking for this and like, I I Googled this to see if that actually happened and I couldn't find it. So I want to know more.
0: This is 100% speculation and not real
1: uh dude i don't know i do know uh they he said the d- guy was fine so maybe that's why we didn't really see anything i
0: think if you were dragged by the subway you are not fine afterwards no and that's how we know this is a real
1: um and then like in true new york fashion there's a power shortage <laughs> that keeps the three roommates stuck on the train and they become irritated and rightfully so like i would be annoyed
0: i this has happened to me before yeah and it is in fury it's hot it's crowded it's dark it's the worst
1: yeah heather notes the card number 8661 and she finally heads up the stairs with julie and kevin and tow and julie starts nagging the booth worker about paying for a ride they didn't even get the take because they couldn't even leave
0: this would be me i would like where is my money ma'am
1: she's mad she's white <laughs> she wants her money back give her a money <laughs> Uh, Kevin and Heather just laugh at Julie because they're like, you are not from New York. Like this Southern charm, the way you're talking, Julie then tells the lady to have a good night. And they just uproariously laugh at her because they're like, <laughs> you stick out like a sore thumb girl. You are not a New Yorker.
0: People who think they're going to get a refund from something massive like MTA. Oh, yeah. It's funny. Number one. Yeah. It's funny. Number two, when they think the booth worker is, is going, the person to issue that yeah. refund? Like, that is not their job. Yeah. Please continue walking. Yeah,
1: get out of my face.
0: <laughs> we don't even have station attendance anymore.
1: I don't think anywhere does, maybe. I don't know.
0: I love Heather and Kevin laughing at Julie. Yeah, me because too. Well, and I feel like I know so many Julies. I, myself, am also from the South who go full Karen and then end the conversation with, have a great day. <laughs> <laughs> like, they want to be nice but they're not, but they try. It's amazing.
1: The next scene, the three are at dinner where we're thrown in a middle of a conversation as Kevin rightfully declares racism is alive and well. Hugely. Yeah, as we've all noticed the past all our lives. Exactly. Julie at dinner says she is just as prejudged as Kevin. <laughs> Kevin, in the interview chair, reveals to the audience, I love how you laugh at that.
0: I'm just as
1: prejudged as you.
0: Listen, do people think people from the South are not as intelligent? Yes. yes they do. Yeah. Is it because frequently people from the South represent themselves as that way? Yes.
1: Especially when you're saying stupid shit like that, Julie. But...
0: Constantly. Come on.
1: Uh, Kevin in the interview chair reveals to the audience that Julie admitted her dad doesn't like black people, Obviously. which I suspected yeah. the entire time. I didn't want to say it, but I knew. Uh, and he doesn't know how much of that actually shaped her opinion of black people, but he doesn't see her as close-minded. In fact, he sees her as very open-minded, especially when it comes to getting to know both he and Heather.
0: Very much. And I think this is a... Kevin is being very cool here, and...
1: Way more than he should be in any or, situation. Yeah, like he's extending himself.
0: Very much. My but opinion. at the same time, Julie got on the train and she went to dinner with Heather and Kevin. Yeah. So Heather could have hid in the apartment, you know. Or no, I'm sorry, not Heather. Julie, I mean. So Julie did. I I agree with him. I do think Julie is trying.
1: Yeah. She ain't got to aggress me. Sure don't. And time.
0: don't call me bitter and stuff. Like, don't put labels on me. You don't even know me. Yeah,
1: sweetie. I, I shouldn't say sweetie. That's <laughs> terrible. But that's
0: not okay. The word privilege, as we use it today, wasn't used back then. Julie suffers from an abundance of privilege.
1: Yeah. Heather then says uh, where she's from, people are either hustling, trying to make it playing ball, or getting a scholarship, or they're basically out there doing wild shit, and she doesn't care about what people think of her, especially if they think she sells drugs, because Heather has to look out for herself, which is sage advice from a 19-year-old. I think she's 20, actually.
0: It's crazy to see Heather and Julie as, like, two sides of a coin. Yeah, oh like God. there's where so Julie... much there. Yeah, don't even get... Where Julie has so much comfort and where Heather has really had hard things in her life. It's interesting.
1: Yeah, and just kind of how, like, the show's actually being framed, too, right? Like, we're watching this, and Julie is, like, the focal point of the show thus far, in my opinion, because it's, like, we get this whole background of Julie um in alabama we don't get Very that for anybody much. else everyone else was introduced kind of Very like by much. themselves or, or excuse me all together in a group and we get this whole backstory of julie and julie's like this fish out water she's just like oh wow i'm from alabama this is crazy and there's kind of like a humanization of julie Very just much. a little bit more than you do with heather or anybody else mm-hmm. and it's just it's wild to me but that's America in nineteen
0: ninety two. Very good point. I feel like the show is told from Julie's perspective. Like we, the audience, are seeing Julie's journey. Yeah. In this thing.
1: And everybody else is just kind of like a a tokenized kind of I like agree. character. And
0: I think that goes to the rest of the I think her and Eric, I think, are the two main focuses of the show. And it's the two white heteronormative people. Yeah. But it's
1: wild. It's wild.
0: I do want to say the show got a little bit away from that as the seasons went on. It became more about the group, less about an individual. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I mean, from this first episode, I think that's what we see. Now, later in the season, I can't really speak for that right now, whether or not that actually is true or not in this season. fair enough. Kevin states that a large part of his history as a Black person was denied to him um, and, well... He's absolutely one hundred right. and twenty percent right.
0: He's still right,
1: uh, and wasn't taught. And in true Julie fashion, she almost gets it right, but Although, then she, she's
0: like so close. But she
1: then disappoints us a little bit. She recognizes Black history is American history, but not that a large part of Black history was intentionally left out of like curriculum. And
0: see, so like, this is such a problem with people like Julie who recognize that there's a problem, but a she doesn't think it needs to be fixed. Mm. And B, it's not a per problem. She's like, oh, no, no. I definitely, I, black history is American history for sure. But we don't need to change anything. Right. Like we're still, like this is all still good. And you can't have that. You can't have it both ways.
1: Heather interrupts and lets us know she can't stand ignorant people. She doesn't care about what color you are, but if you're stupid and ignorant, she doesn't have time for it. And I, I get that.
0: Heather is right. Stupid and ignorant people are the worst. And I am with her on this.
1: As a stupid ignorant person.
0: <laughs> <clears throat> so, yeah.
1: We then get Julie in an interview recounting just how smart everyone is. Which and, they are. Yeah. Everyone's really like a Everyone is really
0: intelligent.
1: She's worried uh, that she's going to be the screw up of the bunch. <laughs> as we get this closing montage of Julie doing increasingly awkward things around the apartment (laughs) and the city. And both Eric and Norman are talking about how tough and open she is to the move. She is. If she has to move from Alabama to New York. Huge Uh, jump. Yeah. Norman is actually fascinated by Julie and Caesar is kind of like a little sister type experiencing and asking all types of questions about the city. Just sweet. Yeah. He thinks it's, wise that her approach to exploring but avoiding certain areas will keep her safe um and then as they walk they see these two beautiful harley davidson bikes julie's sweet talks to owner for a ride and they pull off uh then we get the scene of the biker's friend as he looks into the camera and says i hope she has birth control uh with her and then the credits cut
0: i love it yeah. i love it
1: i hope she has birth control with her
0: i don't mean to harp on this but again we don't see norman hardly at all during this episode and when we do he's in that bathtub yeah he's in the bathtub that's his confessional is in the bathtub
1: i want to do more bathtub confession me
0: too i
1: wonder if he was already in there like hey can we just record you or he's like i would like to be in there.
0: i wonder if it was his idea he's like guys i got an idea
1: all right is he naked
0: bubble bath definitely naked I hope she has birth control with her. Gross. Right. I hope he has birth control with him.
1: Yeah, me How too. How about that? So while they were filming, it started February 16th to May 18th. It's that's pretty short. Yeah, that's when the roommates all moved in together. Uh, only three days after that, they cleared out the loft, and then the series premiered on the 21st of May. That's,
0: that means there was, like, no editing.
1: Well, I mean, they had a couple of months to do like uh, the episodes as they got like, I the guess. first couple of months, I would assume. That's
0: fast turnaround is all I'm saying.
1: Yeah. The reviews were mostly unfavorable. In US Today, Matt Roush, because, you know, he's an extreme critic. I'm sure he's, yeah. Uh, he blasted the series as painfully bogus, <laughs> a bogus. cynical and exploitive new low in television, watching the real world, which fails as a documentary. It's too phony. Uh, and as entertainment, too dull. It's hard to tell who's using who more.
0: Do you wonder if in 2021 Matt sits watching the 19th episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians
1: <laughs> and he thinks,
0: "Ugh, the real world was so dull." I they are doing things. I have seen literal reality show episodes where nothing happens.
1: Hey, some people like those though, like like slow I reality. Guess. The Washington Post, uh, Tom Shales fired off an even more withering critique. Uh, ah, to be young, cute, and stupid, and to have too much free time, which...
0: I same. would only really call two of these people stupid.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Take it easy, Tom.
1: He wrote, uh, such is a lot facing the wayward wastrels of the real world. Whoa, that was a lot. Something new and excruciating torture from the busy minds at MTV. Jeez. That is... That is
0: so, Tom, they didn't take your audition tape, huh?
1: <laughs> he didn't make it on that season. Clearly not. Oddly, Shale's biggest issue with the cast members, creative career choices. You might want to think about getting a real job. Uh, like te- a, a television, television critic. critic. <laughs> uh, what's so curious about the show's somewhat chilly, critical reception is that it's compared to today's reality fair, like like you were saying, the Kardashians and Jersey Shore. Just and Bottom
0: of the barrel. Real
1: Housewives. Um Real World New York now is like more, it's more real it's like very, than all of those. It's more it's realistic. Raw.
0: It's more earnest. It doesn't feel put on. Even the quote unquote confrontations, like when Julie sits down across from Kevin and calls him bitter, even in that moment, it, even in that moment, it feels more genuine than 80% of the reality shows on today.
1: Oh, absolutely. I would say that as well.
0: Thank you all for tuning in. And if you have any questions, suggestions, or embarrassing confessions, maybe you want to send us your audition tape because we would love to see it. Send us an email at thewaybackrecap at gmail.com. Again, that's thewaybackrecap at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show and or listen to bonus content or exclusive episodes, visit our Patreon page.
1: Our original cover art is by Laura Strobisch. Remember, wherever you listen to podcasts, follow or subscribe to the Wayback Recap. If you enjoyed yourself, please rate and review the show. But if that's too much,
0: we totally get it.
1: Tell a friend.
0: Maybe your weird uncle, who's a television critic who's dying to rate and review the show.
1: And join us next time. I'm Brandon.
0: And I'm Patricia. On behalf of the Wayback Recap, take, take care, care of care each other, y'all. y'all.